You ever go into a room and forget why you were there? Like today, some of you maybe even. I mean, you know, it's, it's one thing when it's the kitchen. It's worse when it's the bathroom. Not that long ago, I was getting ready to make dinner. It took me three trips to the basement before I finally got my hands on the can that I was actually going down there for the first time. Each time I'd go down there, do something or pick something up. But the actual reason I went down the first time took me three trips down those stairs to get. Yep, I'm there. You know, they say when you get old, your body's the second thing to go. Forget what the first one is. <laughs> Some of you are sitting there thinking, boy, we could tell you. (laughs) It's one thing when we forget our purpose in little ways like that. But sometimes we can forget our purpose in bigger ways, more significant ways, ways that have real consequences, more so than a moment of embarrassment. We lose sight of what is important. We can lose a job, we can lose a marriage can lose our relationship with God if we lose sight and forget enough of our purpose. Paul wrote to this church in Colossae to remind them of what is most important for a Christian. This city, Colossae, it's a smaller city in the western portion of what is today Turkey, located east of the city of Ephesus. Ephesus is kind of located on the coast of the Aegean Sea, Colossae was located about 30 to 50 miles or so inland from there. We don't know that Paul ever went to the city of Colossae. It's not recorded in the Bible. It's possible. He spent a decent amount of time at Ephesus, but we don't know that he ever did. There's really not a whole lot to say about this town. It's not particularly notable. In fact, the letter to this church was occasioned by a visit from a fellow named Epaphras. He had come to meet Paul, and he brought news of this church. The church was pretty healthy, but maybe had been experiencing a little bit of an issue. Maybe, somehow, they had started thinking that Jesus was of lesser importance. They were starting to lose their focus on what and who is really important. You think, man, how can that happen? How can Christians lose track of Christ? It's in the name. Except it happens. I mean, it sounds odd, but it occurs. Sometimes Christians can forget that Jesus is the most important. So this book of Colossians places Christ where he belongs, at the forefront. As we continue on through these Bible books, we come to this letter of Paul to this nondescript smaller city, and we learn about what is really important. Because here, Paul elevates Jesus. He points out that the Son of God is truly of the highest importance for us. Whether we follow Him, whether we deny Him, we owe Him. So this entire letter focuses on Jesus. We learn about him, and in doing that, we learn to follow him. If you start reading this book from chapter 1, you just keep going, you just start thinking, Paul, you're kind of getting over the top talking about Jesus here. It's just more and more about Jesus. But the fact is, Paul recognizes a very simple truth. It's not possible to praise Jesus enough. 
at no point are we going to be praising Jesus and God will look down on us and say, all right, you got it. Enough. Chill. That won't happen. No, we cannot possibly magnify the name of Christ high enough, long enough, well enough to fully cover it. In fact, if we're going to follow Christ, we need to have a proper view of Christ. We need to see him as he is. And beginning in verse 15 of chapter 1, Paul starts to do that for us. He starts to help us understand who this Jesus is. He is the, first, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in the body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him." If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Friends, we got to know Christ. And he starts off with these rapid fire statements about Jesus. Just bang, 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 bang. And they just keep elevating Jesus keeps lifting him up so much more. Yes, Jesus, friends, is indeed Lord. He is Lord of all. And I mean all. He is Lord of all creation. Friends, there is not one square inch of this universe where you can go and you can find, you can say, this territory is where Jesus is not Lord. You can build a big rocket, fly to the furthest star, Jump to the farthest galaxy and find some little rocky nondescript planet and say, I have finally left Jesus' jurisdiction. <laughs> nope. But he says he's not just Lord of creation, he's the agent of creation. Through him, all things were, were created. You look back in Genesis chapter 1, you're like, wait a minute, I don't see Jesus' name here. Oh, he's, his name isn't there, but he's there. He was before all things. Even the Son who made, was made incarnate, took on flesh. Friends, he existed before he ever came to earth. He was there before there was any there to be. So he beats all of us. And he says he outranks all governments. Any, any dominion, ruler, authority. Friends, there is no power on earth, in heaven, anywhere that challenges the authority of Christ or can even begin to challenge his authority. There's an old joke about, uh, you know, government doesn't like to have its authority challenged, does it? 
Uh, there's few things a petty bureaucrat, bureaucrat likes less than being told he isn't in charge of something. So, you know, this old joke about this, you know, federal, employee, federal bureaucrat wants to go visit this farm. He goes and he says to the farmer, farmer, I'm going to go look wherever I want in here. I need, to, I need to inspect this place. Farmer says, fine, don't go in that field. Oh, that got this bureaucrat hot. As you can see, the red line going up his face, pulls out his badge, shoves it in the farmer's face. You see this badge! That means I carry the authority of the federal government. I will go where I want. I will do it when I want. I will look at what I want. And if you don't like it, I can have a bunch of guys with guns here to tell you otherwise. Farmer said, all right, you just go do what you want. So, of course, this petty bureaucrat, having been told not to go into that field, where do you think he goes? Into the field where he meets the bull. And the bull is chasing him, and this guy is making as fast as he can to the fence, and the bull is gaining on him. The farmer sees it, and he says, show him your badge! <laughs> you probably heard that one. I know it's been around as an old joke, but... Uh, Kind of gets it the thing, you know, sometimes you get so wound up in our authority, <laughs> some things ain't going to recognize that authority. Friends, there are governments on this earth that do not like the fact that Christ is above them. They aren't all communist. You know, we might think of communist China, we might think of North Korea, places like that, friends. We got politicians here who don't like it. But I tell you, Christ is above them. There will be a day when every last empire the world has ever known is gone. Roman Empire, gone. British Empire, gone. United States, Soviet Union, all gone. Jesus will remain. And Paul even says something that we don't even understand. says, in him, all things hold together. What's that mean? I'm not sure. It seems like what Paul is saying is that everything in this universe keeps going because of the constant work of Christ. You know, look, our physicists still don't know everything about what, how everything goes together. And every time they learn something, they find out there's more to learn. And, you know, if you've ever learned anything, you know that's how it is. The more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. But I would not be surprised if at the end of all things, we learn Jesus held it all together. Man, we still don't understand, fully understand everything about Jesus. I don't think we ever will. But on top of that, he says, he's also in charge of the church, his body. You know who runs things around here in this building? It ain't the preacher, I tell you that. Sometimes people talk about, talk about ministers as though we wield a whole lot of power. It's like, man, if we had even a fraction of that power, we wouldn't have near the problems in the church sometimes we have. But I have bosses. We call them the elders. Got three of them in here right now. Well, you know what? They don't call the shots around here either. Because they know full well that they are in submission to Christ. Friends, there is no authority, even in the church, that does not answer to the Son. Nothing would exist without Him. He's a, he was the head and... He, 
at the very start of all things, even from the resurrection of the dead, he's the first. Some people, wait a minute, what do you mean? Lazarus rose from the dead before Jesus did. Well, yeah, but Lazarus died again. He was not raised from the grave never to see death again. He died. Sometimes I just wondered, when Lazarus was on his deathbed for the second time, was he just laying there thinking, well, here we go again. But I just imagine he must have been the most secure person at his death that the world has ever seen. Other than Jesus, I mean. Because he'd been there. (laughs) He'd done that. Got the burial shroud. He's like, well, doing this again. And again, when my eyes open, I'm going to see Jesus. Man, how about that? The only guy who woke, rose from the dead twice each time seeing Jesus. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he rose never to die again. And one day, so shall we. But he was the first. So even in this world and in the next, Jesus is preeminent. Before all things, first one resurrected. And he says also, he's the fullness of God. Oh, you ever want to turn your brain into a pretzel? This will do it. You won't even get the cheese sauce. Jesus is fully God and fully man. He experienced everything we experience, getting tired, getting hungry, getting lonely, having a good time, having a bad time, being, you know, laughing and crying. He was fully human, but at the same time, he was fully God. How does that work? I don't know. I got a degree in theology, and I still have no clue. Shows you what that's worth. I mean, there are some things we just have to take on faith because we can't understand it. For us to know Jesus is for us to know God. Nothing has been held back in Him. We learn so much more about God, not just words on a page, but friends, a living, breathing person who came to show us who God is. And so we know Him so much better. And he says he's even the one who reconciled us to God. You ever notice that we sinned? Humanity. Garden of Eden. See the fruit? Don't eat it. Mmm, tasty. Tells you everything you need to know about humanity right there. Fallen. Each one of us joining in sin, in that rebellion to God. Not one of us able to make it back to God on our own because, hey, we've already messed it up. We're already sinners. We can't fix it. So God says, I've got this. It took God to bring us back to God. How hard was it? God had to do it. He did it through his son, Jesus. He is the only one who could have. So the result is we have gone from being apart from God, from being given over to sin, to belonging to him, cleansed of sin. He says, you were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That's us before Jesus. 
He says, now you've been reconciled to him to be presented holy and blameless. I mean, God looks at us. He doesn't see that sin at all. He sees his son. All those things in your mind that you wish you hadn't done that make your face flush with color because you're embarrassed. Gone. Wiped clean. Because of the blood of Christ. But there's one caveat here. He says, if you continue in the faith. When we belong to Christ, we continue in holiness, we are cleansed, we are forgiven. But if we walk away from him, we're back to where we were. Some people say, wait a minute, if you stay in Christ, nobody can pull you away from Christ. And that's exactly true. There is not one thing, not one power, even Satan himself cannot yet rip you from the arms of Christ. But we can squirm out and walk away. And a good chunk of the New Testament is written encouraging us not to do that. The book of Hebrews, written saying, stay with Christ. The book of Revelation, written to encourage us to persevere in Christ. Because we are constantly pressured by a world that wants to rebel against him. For us to rejoin that rebellion. Now, if we're going to follow Jesus, we need a high view of Jesus. We need to know who he is. If we don't have an understanding of who he really is, we are failing. It's not that we will understand who, everything about him, but we, we need to know. He's not just some philosopher. I heard a radio host once saying, well, Jesus was a philosopher. I'm like, boy, you ain't even close. You might have millions of dollars, you might have nationwide radio shows, but you just admitted on the public airwaves you got no clue. He is so much more than a good teacher. He is not just a mere prophet. He is the Son of God, the divine made flesh, the one who bled and died for us, resurrected by the power of God. He is above all. He undergirds all. The cornerstone of our salvation and our faith is Christ. Man, Jesus didn't just give us a name, Christian. He gave us everything. If someone minimizes Jesus at all, if you ever have somebody say, well, yeah, you know, Christianity, you know, Jesus is good, but that's your clue. You can stop listening there. They've got nothing else to offer. Go to your happy place. They'll be flapping their gums and you're thinking a nice beach, the waves rolling, sitting in the sand. They'll be like, I don't think this person's listening to me and you're not. Because there's no reason for us to listen to somebody who's going to minimize Christ. They got nothing we can learn from. We already know what that folly is. We've been there. We don't need more of it. Jesus is truly glorious in every possible way. And probably even in more ways that we cannot possibly comprehend on this side of the veil. I only wonder what we're going to learn when our eyes open in eternity and we are face to face with him. I think we will learn we only knew the tiniest fraction thereof. But here's the thing. 
Having life in Jesus isn't just about knowing the way. When we are told things in the Bible, it is never just so we can know trivia. That uh, There was a thing this week on Jeopardy. I didn't watch it. I saw some of the kerfuffle about it later on, I guess. This week in Jeopardy, one of the questions had to do with the Lord's Prayer and was, Our Father who art in heaven, blank be thy name. They're supposed to fill in the blank, and none of them did. And we might think, okay, that's really pretty bad. But like a preacher friend of mine said, one of my mentors, You know, don't be surprised. We live in a pretty biblically illiterate time. Even some Christians wouldn't have gotten that one right. Like I've tried to say a few times to you, don't be surprised when a non-Christian is non-Christian. If you're dealing with somebody who's not Christian, I tell you, they're going to have non-Christian thoughts. They're going to do non-Christian things. They're not going to know the Bible or Jesus or any of that. So just understand that. And don't laugh too hard. We'll see that and be like, man, you know, this one would just be easy. But we are not given this knowledge in the Bible so we can answer Jeopardy questions. You know, if you're a Christian, you get that one. You ought to be able to clean up in that category. Now, if they ask you to spell Zerubbabel, that might take a little more work. Or the $500 one, spell Mahershalal Hashbaz. We're not given all this just so we can answer trivia questions, friends. We are given this knowledge so it can shape our behavior. When we know who Jesus is, it means we now have some changes to make. And he talks about these changes when he gets to the practical section in chapter 3. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, see the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on, on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then God's, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We go from knowing Christ to following Christ. Paul, most of these letters, he starts with the theology and then he moves into, here's what it means for you. Knowing this, here's what you do. He gets very practical. And again, these rapid fire statements. 
Sometimes Paul gives, a long, gives like long-form theology. That's like Romans. And sometimes it's sentence after sentence, just wham, wham, wham. He says we've, we belong to Christ. We've been raised with Christ. Our lives are bound to Christ. Our futures are to be present with Christ. As a result, there are ways we are to be. You see, we don't just keep doing what we always did. Our behavior now is predicated on what he has done for us. With all of this being the case, here's how we are to be going forward. Because we are in Christ, because he has died for us, because we are raised a new life with him, because we have this eternal destiny with him, now that ought to change us a bit. As we move away from the old life, the old way of being, he kind of lists off a bunch of behaviors here. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, later anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. And the world hears all that and thinks, man, a person could have a pretty good time in Vegas with all that. But Paul says that's not how we are to be now. Now, none of this is magically removed from us. This is hard work. I've heard some Christians say, you know, after I came to Christ, I never again had that desire to drink or to do drugs. Man, I tell you, that, that, that can happen, but it's rare. Most of us, we come out of that baptistry and we're still carrying those temptations. The things we thought were fun before, we're still going to be drawn toward. And it's going to take some work. Because we have those temptations, we have these baked-in ways that we act that have always been part of our personality. Things that we need to work on. And I've heard Christians sometimes say, well, this is just how I am. Well, that may well be. But that's not how we're supposed to be. That may be how you have been. But we're supposed to be like Christ. You may have always been that way. Now be like him. He lists off these attitudes that need to go away, and he's not listing irrelevancies. He's talking about how these Christians were, and we can look over these things he's mentioning, and probably each and every one of us have things in there that hit home. Maybe not all of them. but at least one or two. Yeah, that's us. And we need to change because he says we're taking off this old self. We're putting on the new self. We are shedding the skin of sin and putting on a cloak of righteousness. This is the difference between our life before we met Jesus and our new life in Jesus. Our new self isn't characterized by all this stuff. Instead, now we belong to him. We humans, he, he continues and he even points out, you know, we humans, we got all kinds of ways that we, that we uh, uh, draw lines between, between each other. Where you're from, what color you are. The language you speak, maybe how old you are, how pretty you are, how rich you are here in St. Louis. Where'd you go to high school? So on and so forth. 
We've got our ways of saying, I'm different from you. And Paul says, guess what? That's at an end. Not just the ways we used to behave, but even the way we characterize ourselves changes. It's not, I graduated from Francis Howell North, I'm an American, Cardinals fan, so on and so forth. No, now I'm in Christ. I belong to Him. And now I'm right there with my brothers and sisters in Christ from around the world. Because what matters is not who we were. What matters is the one that has redeemed us. Now we reflect our Savior. We're the same in Christ and we are supposed to act and treat each other accordingly. It's not going to be easy. I was explaining this in first service. You know, the easy stuff, you don't have to tell people how to do it. How many directions are there on a package of Oreos? You you don't need a booklet saying how to eat those things. I found that takes care of itself. Open package devour contents. We've got that one. My dog can figure that out. She has with certain treats in the past. It's a problem with a smart dog. They can find things and figure them out. You don't have to tell us how to do the easy stuff. No, we're told how to do the hard stuff. And following Jesus, friends, isn't easy. It's hard. We don't want to do it. Sometimes people say, you know, what do you do as a preacher? Well, I usually tell people to do things they don't want to do. <laughs> and, it's, you know, they're in good company. I don't want to do it either, but we all need to. No, we are told to do this because we must do it. But he also describes this new way of being. He says it's opposite the old way. You know, you compare those old ways, you know, given over to our baser instincts. Now he says we're supposed to be holy, beloved, compassionate, humble, meek, kind, patient, all of those things. Loving one another, forgiving one another. Instead of being self-centered and focused on our own lives, we are elevated to being like Christ. And man, that's a lot of work. Because sometimes we got to force ourselves. I tell you, if you have never read the scriptures, heard a sermon, or something like that, and maybe looked at yourself after a, de- after a rough day and said, wow, I was really out of line there. I need to change. If you've never done that, you're not being honest with yourself. I dare say every last one of us in here multiple times has been confronted with the truth of Christ and have had to understand we got some changing to do. It'll be work. You'll have to pray, Lord, I'm sorry. Help me next time to get that one right. Maybe next time, instead of outright failing it, you only get a D minus. Okay, it's a step up. 
a small one, but you know, we'll work with it. And then after years of it, who knows, maybe you'll get it right. You might say, man, some of these I can do. But some of them are going to be work. But we do this because he says we want to bring glory to Christ. Do everything, whatever you do, do everything in the name of Jesus. That's not just slapping Jesus' label on stuff. That is reflecting him, bringing glory to him. Our new actions bring glory to God in what we say, in what we do. That's our goal. That's our new life. Friends, Jesus is vital. He is supreme. He is important. He is the most important. The most vital. Because as Christians, we can't ever lose sight of Him. Any of you ever like watching auto racing? Sometimes I like watching auto racing. You, know, you want to know what they're not doing as they're driving around Indianapolis at 200 miles an hour? There is not a single one of those guys on their phones. That will not end well. Friends, we as Christians got to be focused on what we're supposed to be doing. Because of who he is and what he has done, now we live to please him and to glorify him. We must be like him because how can we bring glory and honor to Christ by continuing in the sin that required his death? Why'd Jesus die? Because we sinned. What sin? It's this kind of behavior. So why are you still doing it? Well, uh, it's like this. Sounds silly, doesn't it? Well, man, it's just a hard habit to kick. We often cling to certain parts of our life before Christ, those beloved sins, those personality quirks that you know aren't right. Friends, it's time to let them go. It's time to bring them before God and say, God, this hasn't been easy. It has followed me my entire life. Father, help and you may have to pray that several times a day because it's not easy. It may not be easy, but it's what we got to do because we need to focus on Christ. If we're going to focus on Him, we've got to focus on knowing Him. If we know the true Jesus, we know He is above all. He is the authority. He is God become man. He is our Redeemer. You can't ever say enough good things about Jesus. When I was teaching preaching classes at St. Louis Christian, I always told them, man, when in, when in doubt, just praise Jesus. If you've got a, certain, got a weekend coming up, you're not sure what you're going to preach, just put together a sermon praising Jesus. And we joke about it. You know, what are you preaching this week, Phil? Oh, Jesus again. But look, you can't ever say enough good things about Jesus. You'll never go wrong praising the name of Christ. You can hardly stop Paul from doing it. I think he only quit because he ran out of parchment. We shouldn't do it either until we run out of breath. 
and focus on following him because when we truly know Christ, we're going to follow him. We will recognize his authority even over us, even over our personalities. There, there is no place out there in the universe or in here in our minds and in our hearts that are off limits to Jesus. He's Lord out there. He's Lord in here. For each and every one of us, he needs to be Lord in here. We can't hold anything back from the transformation he's bringing to us. All of it goes on the altar. He reigns over creation. He reigns over the world. He reigns over us. And he reigns in us. Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you for your son who you have set above all things. He is Lord of lords, King of kings. And Father, he's Lord over us too. Lord, help us to bend. Help us to be humble before him that we might focus upon your son and follow him not just on the outside but even in the very core of our being. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Going to sing. We invite you as, you as we sing. If you have not given yourself to Christ, hey, today's the day. What better day than Father's Day than to belong to the Father? <laughs>